Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, thank you, Niall. I am genuinely privileged and honoured to be asked to share with you God's Word. I am primarily a Bible expositor, so forgive me if I begin simply by reading to you from the Scriptures. It's from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, and I'm going to read a few verses from verses 1 down to verse 8. And this is what, wrote, what Luke writes. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is God's holy and powerful word. Our understanding of mission, whether it is in Ireland or throughout the world, in terms of the West, is essentially proactive. We reckon our responsibility is to plan, to organize, to strategize, and to program, and then to seek the aid of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do what we reckon needs to be done. If there is anything we can grasp from the Acts of the Apostles, and specifically from these verses in chapter 1, is that the mission of God is primarily reactive rather than proactive. That is, God places us in a specific situation, context, or circumstance. That's his providence. And secondly, through the Holy Spirit, and apart from which we cannot minister, he empowers us, he creates the opportunities, he opens the doors to enable us to communicate the gospel. Mission is primarily reactive rather than proactive. My adventure in mission in the Irish Republic began in this pulpit 30 years ago. 
Some of you who are present remember that as a much younger man, I, I preached a rather controversial series of sermons on the prophecy of Jonah, the bigoted prophet. Jonah was a man of God, but he was a bigot. He had been called of God to communicate the truth of God to the Assyrians, those from whom they, as the Jews, had been alienated and ostracized for generations. He had a choice. He could be a patriot or a prophet. Jonah chose to be a patriot. In defiance of the will of God, he moved in the opposite direction and it brought judgment upon him and those who are with him on that ship to Tarshish. I had the boldness, as you would do as a young assistant minister, to apply that to the people of Northern Ireland who are evangelicals, to the people of the word, who had been called of God to communicate his truth throughout the totality of this island specifically to those from whom we have been politically, culturally, and religiously alienated from ge for generations. Well, I, my implication was that the consequences was that we were suffering judgment. This was the time of the troubles, you remember, as a result. Well, you might imagine I was not flavor of the month. I remember on a penultimate address, I spoke on a greater than Jonah is here, in which I clearly demonstrated that our Lord, without seeking to be who he is in terms of his identity as divine, he set aside his rights and privileges, the privileges of his deity, so that he might become one with us from whom he was alienated. And I said, and I would say it again, Without us ceasing to be unionists, if that's what we are, without denying our identity, it is necessary at times for us to set aside the rights and privileges of who we are in order that we might build relationships with those from whom we are culturally, religiously, and politically alienated. Well, there was a man in the choir, there was a choir box, I remember in the past, Niall, you may remember that, there was a choir box here, and a man was so outraged, he shouted, rubbish! <laughs> Followed by a Scotsman who was in the tenors, who, who said to him, shut your mouth, he said. <laughs> the man is preaching the truth. I, I should tell you, just as an aside, that the following Sunday, which was my last address on Jonah, I went into the choir to pray with them. <laughs> and the man who had shouted out in anger wandered over to me and said, Trevor, well, I'm glad to see you're coming to the end of the fish course. When I had completed this series, my wife, who is Welsh and who thinks the Irish are all balmy, <laughs> came to me and said, 
you know you are Jonah. You have dumped on that church all your own personal struggles, everything you have inherited from your upbringing. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. Lucan is only a hundred miles away, but culturally so different, or it was in those days. As you know, because of history, suspicion, and distrust, the Reformed or Protestant presence in the Irish Republic has been small, passive, it has maintained a low profile. People learned to keep their head down behind the parapets. Evangelicals within the Republic still are a tiny minority, 0.05% of the population. You see, through the genius of Cardinal Cullen, who was a brilliant, brilliant man at the end of the 19th century, during that period of Catholic Renaissance, following the First Vatican Council, he inculcated through the educational system the notion that to be Irish was to be Catholic, and to be Catholic was to be Irish. The result, of course, was, and rightly perceived by those in the North, that home rule would equal Rome rule, because the Roman Catholic Church affected every aspect, socially, educationally, economically, politically, of the culture of the Republic. It was all embracing. It presented enormous challenge for those of us who were evangelicals to communicate the gospel. One of the great turning points in terms of the Irish psyche is the great famine of the middle of the 19th century. It was believed that Protestant missionaries at that time sought to convert people from Catholicism by offering them soup, hence the expression superism. So that woven into Irish folklore is the song that people sold their souls for penny rolls, for soup and hairy bacon. That was the context in which I was called to minister. Now the models for mission that were presented to us were quite simple. You had three choices. You either sought to preserve the status quo, that is if you were a Presbyterian, you ministered to Presbyterians, Methodists to Methodists, Baptists to Baptists, Catholics to Catholics, and everyone remained nice with one another. In fact, I used to describe the week of prayer for Christian unity as the Be Nice to Protestants week or the Be Nice to Catholics week, depending on where you came from. It is the status quo model. It was the expectations of the Presbyterian church that that is the model that I would follow. When I went for interview for the position of home mission within the Lucan Presbyterian Church, I tell you, those responsible did everything within their power to dissuade me for going. They realized that God had given me certain gifts as a communicator of some intellectual ability, and they kept saying to me, Trevor, what are you going to do? Are you going to write books? Are you going to play golf? What are you going to do? That's the status quo model. 
I've called it the mortuary model. <laughs> it is still popular, the pietist or individualistic model, to overcome this ostracism that takes place within this island. It is thought it is good if we simply go and bring individuals to faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, that is good. And so there are many. For example, within the Irish Mission, the Irish Church Mission, Operation Mobilization, Scripture Union Among Children, who use this model. But it is no reference to the church. It is not with an intent of creating a community can, that can authenticate the kingdom of God. The third model, and this is primarily influenced from North America, is the restorationist model whereby people reckon you can come to Ireland and start all over again as if the church has never existed before. You can forget about Patrick and Columba and Clonbanus. Now that we have arrived, the church has arrived. <laughs> now those are the models which we have inherited and none of them I sat with comfortably. Not that I had an alternative. What I sought to do based on the pattern of the early church was to seek to respond to the opportunities that the Holy Spirit was creating for us to minister God's word, to expound the scriptures, to bring people to Jesus Christ. Within days of my arriving in Lucan, I had to go to a nearby school Colostic Chiron, we had some children at the school. A Catholic priest, Father Dermot O'Gorman, sat me down, gave me a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee, and proceeded to give to me an amazing story of his evangelical conversion on a Good Friday. I sat in open-mouthed amazement at this. I was so encouraging and enthusiastic to him that he came to my door a few days later and said to me, Trevor, you, you and I have something in common that I can't even share with some of my fellow priests. Could we not meet together? So every Monday at four o'clock, Father Dermot O'Gorman from the Sacred Heart Order and Trevor Morrow from Lambeg and the Sound of Drums. <laughs> we met together, we prayed together, and we studied the scriptures. God gave him to me as my Barnabas, my great encourager who introduced me to a culture and an ethos, a world I knew little or nothing about. I wanted to have the opportunity to teach the scriptures in such a way that people would understand that my primary concern was not making them Presbyterians. So I said once to Leo Quinnan, a priest I befriended, I said, Leo, I would love to teach in St. Joseph's in the Presentation Convent School on Sunday evenings. Oh, he said, Trevor, they're such a conservative order, I'm sure they'll say no. But I said to him, Leo, if you think it's okay, they may think it's okay. So he set up a meeting between me and Mother Patrick. I went in to see her, and I said, Mother Patrick, look, what I'd like to do is to teach the scriptures, to which she said, well, Trevor, if we can play bingo here, we can teach them the scriptures.
So we began this ministry. Practically everyone who came to that were from Roman Catholic background. The result of which, of course, that my own congregation began to grow from all backgrounds and traditions. We have a very tiny minority of card-carrying Presbyterians in Lucan Presbyterian Church, let me tell you. That was the context of the past, but the context has changed, changed quite radically. Let me highlight some of the factors for you. The first is political. And I say this because of its implications for the mission of God throughout this entire island. What we have seen over this decade is breathtaking. It is unimaginable. Who could have conceived there would be a cessation of violence? That we would have installment the representatives of Sinn Féin and DUP in an executive? Do you remember those memorable moments in Croke Park where the English and Irish rugby teams were playing? Croke Park, of course, which is the home of the Gaelic Athletic Association. There was fear as the response of the Irish supporters to the arrival of the English team and to the singing of the British national anthem. In fact, it was greeted with respect in silence. Martin McAleese, the husband of the president, said to me on one occasion, it's the only moment where I saw Mary weeping publicly, the singing of the British national anthem. And what of the coming of Her Majesty the Queen? I know it was carefully choreographed from the wearing of green as she arrived off the plane but as she stood in the garden of remembrance with her wreath and with such respect bowed her head. Folks, these are amazing moments. Not just for the peace of this island, but for its implications for the mission of God. We have been affected politically and economically. It is only a few years ago that the Republic of Ireland was the fastest growing economy in Europe. We had more helicopters per head of population in the Irish Republic than anywhere else on the planet. <laughs> now we are completely bankrupt. And the root cause is moral and spiritual. A cartel, a cartel of property developers, bankers, and politicians engaged in greed and corruption have brought the Republic to its knees. And what of the context religiously? Vincent Toomey, who is a conservative Catholic uh, priest and theologian, has written a fascinating book called The End of Catholic Ireland. This is what he says. It is a measure of the cultural sea change in Ireland that whereas half a century ago to call oneself an Irish Catholic was a badge of honor, today in the upwardly mobile modern south of the border, Ireland, it is more often than not an embarrassment to be reluctantly 
admitted. Add to that the scandal of child abuse and how the Roman Catholic Church has handled it. It has simply scarred the minds of devout Catholic people. You are aware that this outrage reached its peak in response to the Cloyne's report, where it was obvious that through deliberate concealment and lying, the perpetrators of these crimes had been protected from the state and its judicial process. Let me tell you that the clown's revelations are heartbreaking. It, it describes how victims continued to live in the small towns and parishes in which they were reared and in which they were abused. Their abusers often still in the area and still held in high regard by their families and the community. These abusers continued to officiate at family weddings and funerals. In one case, the abuser even officiated at the victim's own wedding. No wonder it caused Ender Kenny, the Irish Taoiseach or Prime Minister, in an unprecedented outburst to say this. This report, he said, exposes an attempt by the Holy See to frustrate an inquiry in a sovereign democratic republic as little as three years ago. And in doing so, the report excavates the dysfunction, disconnection, elitism, and the narcissism that dominate the culture of the Vatican to this day. He said the rape and torture of children were downplayed or managed to uphold instead the primacy of the Catholic institution, its power, standing, and reputation. Far from listening to evidence of humiliation and betrayal with St. Benedict's ear of the heart, the Vatican's reaction was to parse and analyze it with the gimlet eye of a canon lawyer. These, these are unprecedented days to have an Irish prime minister speaking in such terms. The result of which was the papal nuncio was summoned back to the Vatican. We are in the context of mission in a totally different context. And socially, we are seeing a new definition of Irishness. People are becoming Irish citizens from all over the world. My own congregation has something like 23 to 25 nationalities from every continent except the Antarctic they have come to Lucan. <laughs> Penguins have not yet appeared. <laughs> Most of them have become Irish citizens. So there is a new perception of what constitutes Irishness. It is in this sphere that we are engaged in mission. And culturally, Highly educated European Irish men and women are open. They may be confused, relativistic, and postmodern. But whatever the weaknesses of the Catholic educational system, it has given them a profound sense of God consciousness, far greater than anything you will discover in the north of Ireland. This is where God has called us to minister. And our response 
is to seek to discern what the Spirit of God is doing and to react to it, to meet the challenges that he is creating. Whatever model of mission that I have sought to develop, it is not sectarian. I'm reminded from this passage of how these Galilean nationalists came to Jesus and said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when the Spirit comes in power, it's going to be for us and it's going to be wonderful. That's how we think, isn't it? So when the Presbyterian General Assembly meets, or their boards or agencies or mission elements meet together, they assume that when the Spirit comes, it's going to be for us. Or the Baptists think it's going to be for us. Or the Pentecostals think it's going to be for us. That is not what the Spirit of God is doing. Just over a year ago, I, I went into the sacristy of the local Catholic Church, St. Mary's. We have introduced in Lucan, uh, during the week of prayer for Christian unity, a pattern whereby we come and bring greetings to each other's churches. That was because I was so unhappy about the idea of exchanging pulpits. I just couldn't do it. Uh, preaching of the word of God is really important to me. So I suggested, and the local parish priest agreed, it would be wonderful instead if we just went and brought greetings before mass or before service. So I went into the sacristy and met the new priest, Father Tom. I said, my name is Trevor Morrow, Lucan Presbyterian Church, and he said, I'm Father Tom, but I know who you are. <laughs> and I said to him, how do you know who I am? Well, he said, do you remember preaching in the pro-cathedral in Dublin 20 years ago at a Catholic youth rally. And I said, yes, I do, Tom. And I remembered it for two reasons, because of what I preached. I, I chose to preach on, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It was not a polemical address trying to show the superiority of a reform position from a Roman Catholic position. It was simply the celebration of the amazing grace of God. I also remember it because it was the only occasion where I received a standing ovation for preaching the gospel. <laughs> there were hundreds and hundreds of Catholic students present. Well, said Tom, I responded to Jesus Christ that night. And as a result, I entered the priesthood. My response to him was, please don't tell any of my colleagues in the North. <laughs> God's Spirit is working in the most amazing ways in this new Ireland. It might seem strange to you from my tradition to say this, but I believe there is no community more strategically placed for this new movement of the Spirit than the Church of Ireland. Because in every town, in every village, they have a community. It has brought such joy to me at the appointment of these evangelical bishops. Like Ken Fanta, as I know him, and Harold, 
and Peter. It is such a joy to me. They are strategically placed. I take such delight in the effectiveness of the Baptists in Cork, who have discovered an effective means of planting churches. Or, or of my dear friend, Sean, who is the first youth lad ever in our youth fellowship in Lucan, who's now the pastor of the largest Pentecostal church in Dublin, working among incredibly difficult and socially alienated people, and I rejoice in what he is doing. The IBI, for example, is training people in innovative ways of mission and ministry within the Republic of Ireland. I saw in the Irish Times that, that David Ross, who I understand I'm conducting a wedding with in a few months' time, as part of an evangelical movement in West Cork, has re-established the St. Finbar's Pilgrim Way so that Catholic people can identify with the witness and testimony of those evangelicals in West Cork. You see, we can no longer think, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to us? He seems to be transcending all of those distinctions. Now, I have to tell you, it is an enormous joy to me to see the renewal and transformation of the Dublin and Munster Presbytery of which I am a part. At a time in the north of Ireland where the Presbyterian church is statistically undeclined, the only presbytery which is growing is the Dublin and Munster Presbytery. Who could conceive of such a thing? This is the New Ireland. It is why, in my own thinking, I have, I have developed an understanding of what God is doing as what I call the Reformed Catholic model. I am profoundly Catholic in my witness and identity and historicity and theology, but committed with my forefathers to the reformation and renewal of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church as Christ speaks to us through the scriptures. That is the position of Luther and Calvin and the forefathers of the Protestant Reformation. It gives you a breadth and openness, you see. It is not narrow or sectarian. My heart rejoices when I listen to Dermot Martin, the Archbishop of Dublin at times. Listen to his words. The second and deeper root of my discouragement I, is that I do not believe that people have a true sense of the crisis of faith that exists in Ireland. We have invested in structures of religious education which, despite enormous goodwill, are not producing the results that they are set out to do. Our young people are among the most catechized in Europe, but among the least evangelized. That's the Catholic Archbishop. This immediately brings us to the deeper question about the level of understanding of the message of Jesus Christ which exists in our Catholic Church and, our, and in our society in Ireland today. What do we really know of the message of Jesus? The Irish Catholic tradition has greatly neglected the place of the scriptures. Catholics do not know the scriptures. They do not know how to use the scriptures. 
we do not take time to encounter Jesus in the scriptures. Don't you want to encourage him? Don't you want to fan the flames? Let me conclude with this. And this is the challenge to us, we who live and minister and bear witness to Christ north of the border. I want you prayerfully to see the new context and opportunity of this different new Ireland in which you are living. Not simply because of the political and personal benefits that it brings, but for the enormous opportunities it gives to us for the advance of the evangelical gospel. Secondly, and this is something that Alan Favell, the late Alan Favell, shared with me in the 1980s. We need someone, perhaps someone who is here, who is skilled in sociology and theology to do research as to what the Spirit of God is doing at this present time throughout Ireland. Someone, perhaps in a doctoral thesis, who will write extensively on this subject so that we can respond to what God is doing by his spirit. And thirdly, my encouragement to you is to think and act radically because your first loyalty is to Jesus Christ and to the kingdom of God. When you, as young people, begin to think of where you will receive your education, you think of the North or you think of Britain. I want you to think of Cork and Galway and Trinity College Dublin. And when you are planning investments and the expansion of your business, I encourage you, not for political gain, but for the gain of the kingdom, to think north-south rather than east-west. A few years ago, I, I was sitting, and the postman knocked at the door, and there was a book for me. And when I opened the book, I thought it was a joke. Uh, the book was called How Ireland Saved Western Civilization. I thought it was a spoof. Oh no. This was a book written by Thomas Cahill. It's an extraordinary history of the mission of God in the past from this island. How Columba and Columbanus organized monasteries, the illuminated manuscripts they preached the gospel with Bibles in one hand and with the classics of Virgil and Pliny. Ovid and Juvenal in the other. They drained swamps, they cut roads, they copied manuscripts, they organized industrial centers and schools. And through them they held back the ravages of the Dark Ages. And they saved Western civilization. Well, we today in Europe are in a new Dark Age caused my moral and intellectual decay. The barbarians, brothers and sisters, are at the gate. 
yet it is a time of unprecedented opportunity in this land. We can again become a land of saints and scholars who will see on this island and throughout Europe the coming of the reign of God in Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Ireland as it is done in heaven. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.